0: Or toll free at 888 382
1: 7502. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, on ESPN 1067 in Fox Sports, Central Alabama. Happy Monday, everybody. Two weeks in the books in college football, and we are back for week three on the Monday edition of
2: On the Line. Lance, how you doing today, my man? Fantastic, Noah. How about you?
1: I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Or should I say I'm doing well? I need to be grammatically correct, of course. But the number to call if you want to call into the show, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. If you want to find us on Twitter, at Point Gardner at Dahl Pound. Lance, how was the weekend, my man?
2: Well, it was, it was interesting in terms of what we got to see throughout all of college football. Obviously, Auburn taking care of business against Alabama State. But we got to see uh it's very similar things to I, I feel like what we saw in week one in terms of some college football teams that we thought were going to be good heading into the season are just not where we thought they would be and they're really they, there are some teams out there that after after two weeks just don't seem like they're out there playing very prepared and it, it it's it's startling to me
1: there's a long way to go across college football for sure and only two weeks are in the books so maybe the title of today's podcast when the show is over a theme that I have had carrying through the weekend and into now is don't overreact to anything that you've that you've watched through these first two weeks and after the Akron game of course you and I were excited and rightfully so based off of reasons that we discussed last week to say hey these guys looked really good against yes subpar competition but When was the last time that we saw an Auburn football team look this crisp against this poor of a team? And of course, they didn't come out this past weekend against Alabama State with the same type of crisp, refined play that they had in uh, the first week against Akron. But on the flip side, at halftime, they came out a completely different football team and put them away, which, if this was the previous regime, that may have not have happened at halftime the first half issues may have continued and then it would have been a nasty game for for, for throughout and it would have finished you know 44 to 44 to 7 or 44 to 10 or something like that and we wouldn't have really have left satisfied whereas on the other hand I think you can say we left satisfied this past Saturday
2: it's something that you were talking about heading into the season right how it's really difficult to to come away from these games excited like all the way through because one way or another you're going to come away dissatisfied with something that happened in the game. I feel like through these first two games, Auburn fans could not have really asked for much more. I mean, this is the first time Auburn scored more than 60 in back-to-back games since the 1930s. They currently lead the nation in points per game, albeit against really bad competition, but they still are one of the best in the nation right now in terms of scoring and they're one of the best in the nation in terms of defense because they they've gone out there and they've executed like you just said no we've not seen auburn execute against poor competition like this in a very very long time and it's just refreshing to see an auburn team play up to the the standards of the sec
1: but yeah also don't overreact across college football as right. well to other teams performances or if somebody lost or if somebody has started out 2-0, and you're like, oh, they beat two ranked teams. No, I don't think Iowa's that great of a football yeah. team. I think that they're good. I don't know if they are top six good at this point from what we watched, and I'll get into that later on, but – let's stay parked here talk about Auburn 62-0 win over Alabama State we want you to call in 334-321-1390 our text line at 334-564-1840 what were your impressions of Auburn 62-0 win over Alabama State let's throw it all out there onto the table Lance bullet point them off we'll start with just one and then I'll give one and we'll just take turns here Give me one of your bullet points on
2: an impression of Auburn's 62-0 blowout win over Alabama State. I would say Bo Nix's stat line is deceiving. You yes, look it, at was. it Finally, 9 of 17, 108 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. He had a fumble that he lost late in the uh, the second quarter, but you, you look at that and you go, man, that sounds like a, a perfect Bo Nix stat line. I mean, just over 50% completion percentage, a little over 100 yards. Uh, but you if you go back and watch the film, there were multiple drops by different receivers that just did not help him out. It seemed like he was consistently making making the right decision, like we saw against Akron. The passes were either being dropped or just not completed. And you know what? There were a couple of accuracy issues, like I think uh, on two throws that I can remember, but at the end of the day, if you're, if you're making the right decisions and you're being accurate on most of your throws, like the two touchdown throws that he threw to Robertson were, were beautiful. What
1: quarterback is perfect on every single right. throw that they make in a ballgame, though? I mean, that, that's borderline nitpicking.
2: Exactly, and that's yeah. what I'm saying. is you look at the you look at this stat line, and even if you go back and watch the film and you think that Knicks didn't really have that good of a day, I would say that there were things surrounding him on the offense that were, that were causing issues to make that stat line look not as pretty at the end of the day. But yeah, two touchdowns and both of them were were perfect, beautiful throws. It's something that I was nitpicking on last week is the touchdown throws didn't seem like they were either underthrown or like on the money. These two, to Robertson, to the corner of the end zone, the left side both times, were perfect.
1: Absolute dimes, you're 100% correct. Do you know what Bo Nix's adjusted quarterback rating was on Saturday? I do not. This actually is catching me off guard. 39.3. Very low. Very low for what I felt like we were watching on Saturday I didn't know what the QBR was until I just sat down and, and, and looked at that statistic there of course there are different quarterback ratings out there but I'm looking at the adjusted one that ESPN puts out which is on a scale of 0 to 100 T.J. Finley had a perfect one at 100 when you go two for two for 66 yards and a touchdown that's going to get you there but I was shocked to see that Bo Nix is at 39.3 it would be higher had Kayla Newton not dropped a touchdown pass right had Tank Bigsby not dropped a screen you could have added possibly another 50 receiving yards on those two plays alone or 50 passing yards on those two plays alone and one of them would have been a touchdown right and the stat line looks a lot better that's what you're getting at and that's that's where the QBR is a little bit low there and then there are other drops as well Demetrius Robertson had to drop out in the flats I think Shed
2: had two, if I'm not mistaken. There I was there some was contact,
1: one. you know, on on a couple of those. But you're right. I mean, th- it was not a perfect. Get- yeah, there was the slant route on the first drive that right. that you're talking about for Shed Jackson. Yeah, so it was there was at least three plays I think you could point to where the completion percentage is higher. You would be 12 for 17 at that point. You would have added another 50 to 60 receiving yards or passing yards to Bo Nix's stat line. Another touchdown. His QBR would be much higher. I hope that people did not overreact to what i thought there was only one poor drive from bo nicks and it was the first drive of the ball game where he that would have been a pick six at penn state the the hitch route that was thrown directly to the alabama state quarterback but quarterbacks are going to make mistakes nobody's going to be perfect don't overreact to you know one poor drive on saturday i thought he had a good ball game let's head to the phone lines now three three four three two one thirteen ninety. we did lose him. oh good looking out Ed, call back. We want to hear from you. We want, to, uh, we want to hear from you, so please call back. 334-321-1390. Right
2: as we turn to turn to the phone. Yeah, like, well, I'm bummed out. Man, I wanted to hear from Ed. I did too. Yeah, and I, I, I agree with you. Again, you look at this final stat line, even if his quarterback ratings that low, I feel like you have to put – you and I were talking about this off-air a, a little bit. You have to put a little bit of that blame on the receivers. I think you do. And at the end of the day, if two or the three of those passes that were drops were completed – one of them being, obviously, that, that wide-open touchdown to Kalen Newton. The stat line looks a lot better. Something I do want to add on top of this,
1: though, talking about Bo Nix, an impression that I had, I know your impression was that he had a pretty good ball game and whatnot. I'm going to go with his deep ball accuracy. Through the first two games, I have been so impressed with Bo Nix throwing the ball down the field, and I think it got better going into this game.
2: Yeah, I agree with you. Again, you look at those two touchdowns to Robertson. I mean, one of them was was obviously closer, but it was to the the, the far side, the, the corner of the end zone just a beautiful throw on that out route and then the one that is kind of kind of a go fading fading to the corner it just put the ball right where the receiver could get it bullseye it was beautiful I it, I I initially I was like oh why did he put it outside on the outside shoulder but you go back and look at him like that's the place that it needed to be thrown it was just a beautiful throw I agree with you his deep ball accuracy compared to what we've seen uh over the past two years where he's either overthrown or just not and just not been accurate He's
1: not overthrowing receivers anymore
2: this this year they're i think they've gotten to him just do not overthrow the receiver
1: and there were two more throws that went incomplete that were also on the mark one of them Mm -hmm. a little underthrown the other one i don't know how you make this throw this is absurd this was an nfl like throw this was a throw that I think you've seen Russell Wilson make a time or two in the league for the Seattle Seahawks. Bo Nix is being flushed to his right. There's pressure coming. The only reason why I think looking back at that film of him throwing off the back of his foot there was because if he actually stepped into his throw, he steps into potentially a sack or an incompletion. He had to throw off his back foot to give himself the time to launch it. And he launches it, and it is thrown on a rope, an absolute laser. And he drops it in with a perfect touch over the top of the defensive back and to a catchable location. That was going towards the video board on the opposite side of the field. The throw to shed, right? Yes, yeah. I th- I, that may have been to shed. I don't know who the receiver was on that one, but um, it goes incomplete excellent play by the defensive back as well for alabama state i was impressed by their corners they stayed step for step in coverage with auburn wide receivers when they were going down the field you could see that they were athletic they were physical they were able to when they were when they were there when they were in position they were able to make plays so i was impressed with alabama state's cornerbacks but then there was the other one that was downfield moving away from the video board that was to shedrick jackson that was underthrown a little bit And that was just on a straight go route down the sideline. That was underthrown a little bit, but I'm not too mad about that. And you and I were talking about this off air. He's not going to be perfect
2: every time, but he at least put it in a location where his receiver can make a play. Right. And I'm looking at the throw right now. I mean you if if that seth williams he goes up and he makes that catch like he he gets 10 feet in the air and he comes and there was down defensive it. pass interference on that play as right. well he so was I holding mean, the yeah he was he's holding getting
1: shed. tomahawked
2: <laughs> he's getting karate chopped yeah you go back and watch it it had shed been able if he if the defensive back had not held shed he wouldn't got he would have gotten both hands on that and that would have been a touchdown that would have been a beautiful throw so yeah his deep ball accuracy is on another level this season
1: and that's something that i think you can take into account regardless of opponent are you throwing with accuracy now the extra side to that is he hasn't been pressured a whole lot so is he still going to be able to do that with pressure we saw that one time in this previous game against alabama state and that was where he was throwing off of his back foot and he dropped it in on a dime we've got ed back on the line with us number to call 334-321-1390 that's how you can reach us we're headed to our phone lines now ed how you doing today
3: I'm doing pretty good. I'm going to tell you something, buddy. You'd you love to listen to you. you know, know uh,
4: uh,
3: a couple of weeks ago before the first game, are you there? Yeah. A, a couple of weeks ago, y'all made fun of me when I said that uh, watch out for Jacquez Hunter. And don't say, no, we didn't. Yes, you did. And, and now just the the program that y'all got before here is so Pitiful, so pathetic. The Daryl and Daryl show, the, the, the guy sat there, uh, Doug, sat there, Doug, Daryl, and Daryl. Charlie Charlie just sits there like a dang. you know, yep. What, whatever. Uh, okay, his comment was that Auburn uh, is going to be in trouble if Auburn paint, if, if Auburn paint, uh, if Auburn paint Get big Be running. Auburn's got you know, and family has got such a harder problem than, with Florida than the, I, I just. I'm so sick of, of of the the quality of talk that I find on your show. Thank you, and, and War Eagle.
1: I thought we were cool with that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I thought we were as well. I don't. I I don't remember us having a conversation about Hunter. But if if we I love them, I, Hunter. I apologize. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I put out an article today uh, talking about how many starting SEC running backs have more rushing yards than Jarquez Hunter because he's because he's awesome. There's only two, by the way. He's he's got more rushing yards than 12 starting SEC running backs. Just want to throw that out there.
1: Yep. Ed, we'd love to hear from you again. Three three four three two one thirteen ninety. I think he may still be on the line with us. Do we still have him? And uh, you still there? And you still there? And you still there? Uh, maybe not. Let's drop it. That was Ed on the line with us, 334-321-1390. But yeah, um, we can't speak for the show that comes on before us. Mm -hmm. We can't speak for the Max Roundtable. They do their show out of Montgomery. We carry it here. Um, Can't speak for anything that they've said on their program or any interaction they've had with with Ed in the previous weeks about Jarquez Hunter. Um, I, I don't specifically remember any interaction with Ed about Jarquez Hunter either,
2: so... Um, but yeah he's tearing it up right now take me through that stat line that you're talking about with Jarquez Hunter yeah so I I was going through earlier this morning I was like well how many SEC running backs have more rushing yards than Hunter there are only two Tyler Beatty and Chris Rodriguez and if we're talking about just players in the SEC if you include Anthony Richardson uh, who pulled his right hamstring by the way against USF uh, so there goes their their chances against Alabama there are three players in the SEC that have more rushing yards than Jarquez Hunter right now but only two running backs that start wow so and Tank
1: Bixby is included in that and
2: Tank Bixby is right behind uh, Hunter yeah. that's
1: what a 94 yard carry will do for you
2: <laughs> yeah it's uh longest rush in uh, Auburn history yeah I would say that that's another bullet point that I had an impression that I had was Jarquez Hunter man I mean he looks so so good for for a freshman if I had to compare him to somebody he kind of feels like if Nick Chubb and Trey Mason kind of gelled together and it's a very early stage of nick chubb and trey mason he's got that vision he likes to do what mason did which is bounce it outside it i see every time he he see he does that i think trey mason they look very similar to me
1: they have similar frames for sure and similar running styles something that you can point out with jarquez hunter he's well beyond his years in his running style he is is great with pad height at this point He's physical. That's why he wins a lot of those one-on-one contacts when they hit the hole. He is, you know, he can be a linebacker in the hole, and he's bouncing off of it right now. Now, granted, he is playing Alabama State linebackers. He's playing Akron linebackers. He has not played SEC competition yet. I think he's showing evidence of good vision up to this point. He's well beyond his years as a freshman. And Christian Clemente, friend of the program, we have him on on Fridays. Find him on Twitter at C clemente underscore. He tweeted out this past weekend that Jarquez Hunter is the steal of the 2021 class, and I couldn't agree more. Now, other guys have not really been able to showcase what they can do out of that class yet. We really haven't seen anyone break out or really get significant playing time from that 2021 class. Jarquez Hunter is the only one, but he definitely fits the bill for steal considering that he was the late addition of it two days after national
2: signing day and it's so wild that he was left until then right like nobody had picked this kid up
1: that was his decision date he set that i'm pretty sure that put him on that friday but yeah uh if it wasn't for auburn uh he would be playing at you know a Mississippi school or possibly in the group of five
2: right and that's what I'm saying is like obviously it's pushback but I'm surprised a team didn't jump on him and get him before it got to that point like go ahead and get him to commit I'm and just that's surprised what ha-
1: that's what I think an effect of the coronavirus right had on high school athletes or possibly that could be a factor there is that you're not able to get out to some of these smaller high schools that are a little bit off the beaten path, and that tends to be a theme in Alabama, Mississippi, definitely into Florida, just with how big the state is. You know, you can hop on a back road and go to a town or a city that you've never heard of before, but they might have some good high school football going on there, right? Especially as you drop down in some classifications, and they just maybe don't get as cup, co- they don't get covered as much, and it's hard to find those guys when there was a pandemic going on. And you're just not getting the coverage. You're not getting the scouting and whatnot. And Jarquez Hunter now making the most of this opportunity at Auburn. But athletic freak, you know, you hear the stories about him dunking a basketball with with boots on. You hear him, uh, you, you see what he's actually doing on the football field now. Like you heard all those stories before they actually got out there on the football field. And now he gets out on the football field and you're like, oh, this guy's, this guy's built. He's fast. He's got good vision. He's well beyond his years thoroughly impressed at this point with Jarquez Hunter
2: yeah and like you said he's making the most of this opportunity and you look at the depth chart for this week instead of listed as the third string he's listed as or along with Sean Shivers and I think part of that has to do with Shivers is still day-to-day right now according to Harson in his press conference earlier today but yeah Jarquez Hunter making moves and I could not be more excited about the future of this running back room because you look at next year you've got Tank Bixby, Damari Austin, and Jarquez Hunter that's going to be a fun group to watch
1: one more bullet point here impression of Auburn 62 to zero win over alabama state like i said to open up the show don't overreact halftime adjustments willed in they put the game on lock 35 points in the third quarter might not have seen that in the past i'm impressed with the fact that they were able to find intensity intensity that i think when we talk with jeremy law of radio alabama sports later on in the show we'll have jeremy coming up at 230 he's going to talk about alabama's performance against mercer Nick Saban and the Alabama Crimson Tide obviously not very impressed with the intensity
2: that they had all week leading up to the Mercer game and it showed I don't think that they had a great performance against the Bears no I don't think they did either and I agree with you you look at this you look at the second half adjustments and man they really came out and firing on all cylinders in the third quarter something that harson has been harping on his special teams and they came through in a really big way it's Auburn's first 35 point quarter uh, since I believe it was, it's 1993 against New Mexico State is the last time Auburn had a 35-point uh, th- quarter period. So, yeah, Auburn is, is, is playing at, at a level that we've not seen, again, like we mentioned at the beginning of the show, against these small, smaller opponents. They have not played like this against them in a very long time. We've not seen Auburn go out there and just dominate from start to finish it was something that you wanted to see during week one and I think you kind of wanted to see it through these through these first two games as Auburn to go that go out and dominate in every aspect of the game and they've just about done that through two weeks
1: let's take a quick break here when we come back I want to talk about stuff that could be potentially concerning us going into Auburn's game against Penn State what's on our minds that's heaviest right now after we've seen these first two weeks performances and what could possibly be problematic going into this Saturday's game I know a couple of people in this studio uncomfortable about Saturday's ball game I'm pretty optimistic but I know a couple of you guys a little uncomfortable about it so we'll talk about that when we come back you're listening to On The Line back on On The Line Monday edition of the show Auburn takes down Alabama State 62-0 to given our impressions of the Tigers 62-0 win over Alabama State number to call 334-321-1390 or text line at 334-564-1840 find us on twitter at pointgardner at doll lance is there anything that's particularly concerning you at this point going into week three a trip to happy valley on the horizon later this week is there anything that is concerning you at this
2: point Going into Auburn's game against Penn State, well, like I said before the break, there Auburn came out and dominated in every aspect of the game. Just about, I think there are a couple of areas that you can look at whenever the, whenever you go back and look at the stat sheet. and You're like, mm, I really hope that that does not get worse whenever Auburn plays Penn State. And I specifically want to look at the uh, quarterback completion percentage uh, for the for Auburn's opponents over the course of these two games. Auburn is allowing a 77 percent completion percentage. Uh, over the course of both the Akron and Alabama State games and you look at Ryan Nettles 19 of 27 thing is though neither of them has thrown for over 200 yards Nettles 130 I believe DJ Irons and Cato Nelson combined for 191 if I'm not mistaken so Auburn is leaving everything in front of them and they're not allowing the deep ball or the the explosive play my concern heading into that Penn State game is Penn State Penn State's offensive line is better and their skill position players are better so if they want to run the ball on first down and then throw short and intermediate passes they can get to that third down and five third down and six and it's a it's a it's a mesh route to Jahan Dotson and it's a first down you know it's it's a It's a curl route to Jawan Parker, and it's a first down, and they just kind of chip their way down the field, and they're able to kind of break Auburn apart that way. If Auburn does not generate a pass rush, I can see that as a reality, but we've seen through two games now where Auburn's pass rush has has been been decent. So yeah, I think my one area of concern is not allowing Sean Clifford to kind of dink and dunk down the field because we've seen these two bad opponents Auburn's played. They've been able to complete some short passes.
1: I'm not too concerned with Penn State with crossing routes and short, intermediate and maybe intermediate. It's not the right word, but within ten yards of the line of scrimmage in between the numbers. I'm not concerned with Penn State in that area of the field because that's just not their offense. I'm with you, though. That would be a problem with the way that Auburn's defensive scheme is set up with the zone coverage. And that is what Auburn wants opposing teams to do. But if you run into a team that does it well, and is able to maintain a drive then that's not a good thing for this Auburn defense but Penn State's going to put it out on the edge from watching that Penn State Wisconsin game they were either throwing screens or shot plays so don't give up anything over the top and I've been very impressed with Auburn defending against screens because you take a look at Roger McCurry's pick six this past week but on top of that even when Auburn's not the one catching the opposing screen. Auburn's blowing it up within a yard or two of the line of scrimmage.
2: Yeah, don't you love how that play with McCreary, the other receiver was trying to set a block, and he realized McCreary was getting through, and the receiver that was supposed to catch the screen realized it and then tried to set a block on McCreary as well, so he couldn't get to the ball, but he ended up fighting through both of them and getting the interception. I mean, just incredible talent in Auburn's secondary, man, and and I hope, I hope that Penn State uh that's not the way they they attempt to attack auburn because like you said i think auburn plays really well in the screen game and you look at the linebackers man i mean they were flying all over the field uh they auburn's got speed at that position
1: Jacoby mcclain was everywhere
2: and i think i think if penn state elects to do what they've done for two weeks now offensively they're going to have a really hard time against auburn but yeah my area of concern is just not letting sean clifford get comfortable
1: take a wild guess who was second on the team in tackles on saturday
2: so McCreary. it's not a linebacker. McLean led the team in tackles. Mc- who was second? McLean led the team. um Was it McCreary? It was McCreary. Okay. He had seven total tackles, six solo. Second on the
1: team in solo tackles as well. One tackle for loss, of course. The pick six that went to the house, and he had a pass breakup. McCreary got involved. If you want to talk about the screen game, and Alabama State was doing that a lot with their receivers, McCreary was blowing it up. That was he was showcasing his ability. To play at the next level and of course it was just alabama state but he was showcasing some really solid tackling and some really aggressive technique out on the outside i was very impressed with mccreary i thought he did much better in this ball game not that he did bad in the first game but i, I think he was on a whole nother level this game against alabama state something that's concerning me going into auburn's game against penn state auburn's pass rush now folks do not overreact to what i just said don't be like man this guy's crazy Auburn's been getting sacks through these first two weeks yes but it's been how Auburn's been getting sacks these two weeks that has me wondering if Auburn's going to be doing it next week it's been a lot of power rushing it's been a lot of driving offensive linemen back into the pocket collapsing the pocket that way it hasn't been speed rushing now granted that's fine there are offensive line there are defensive lines that succeed at doing that georgia does that but most of the time at the sec they finish middle of the pack in sacks right now that wasn't the case last year but i'm just curious if auburn's going to get home off the edge against penn state we just haven't seen him play quality o-line yet now that penn state does have one but i want to see if they can get home off the edge rather than just driving offensive lineman back we'll keep talking about this later on throughout the show Back on On The Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESBN 1067 and Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Talk a little Auburn football on your Monday afternoon, 2 to 4 p.m. You're listening to On The Line. We got Jeremy Law of RadioAlabamasports.net with us on the show today. Jeremy, how you doing today, my man?
5: Doing well, guys. Hope you all are doing well also. Coming off another big win for the Auburn Tigers. What's that, like, 100 uh, and. 120 to 10 that you've outscored opponents over the last first two games pretty impressive
1: 122 to 10 i'm
5: sorry i'm sorry
1: (laughs) give us the safety that we got because akron snapped a ball through the end zone (laughs) yeah that's where those two points came from tv this week that's right that's true yeah weren't they on tv this past they were on sec network yeah just 11 a.m not the ideal tv time
5: I was just, I was just glad I could watch. I, I remember two weeks ago, I was turning on the TV. I was trying to find the armor game. I couldn't find it.
1: That's right. Of course, Alabama doesn't have issues getting on television, and uh, you've got some gripes with this past weekend's performance for the Alabama Crimson Tide over the Mercer Bears. You've got some issues with the intensity.
5: I'm not sure if they're gripes. I was just, I mean, I was just looking at it and saying, how, how is the. How's the offensive line letting Mercer get to Bryce Young? Why is Bryce Young getting hit multiple times in the first quarter on the first few drives? Um, You know, not that there's questions about this Alabama team. I think there's some areas of the team that's got to get a little better. And judging from Nick Saban's press conference today, it's not Bryce Young. I mean, Nick Saban talks about Bryce Young maybe better than he's talked about any Alabama quarterback from an on-the-field playing standpoint. Um, I think Doug Marone's offensive line has to get a little better, and I'm not so sure if the play call, if it's just that the play calling has been so vanilla over the first couple of games. But I mean, Nick Saban's talking about the offensive line in his post game presser, while Jordan Rodgers is on television, and I think he probably did it five or six times. Talked about how good Bryce Young is is at going through progressions, and they showed replays, and here's Jordan Rodgers showing you that. Uh, Bryce went one through four and sometimes back to one I mean like so does Bryce have time or does he not have time so both of those things can't be correct so if the offensive line is okay which I think it is and you kind of saw it in the second half is the play calling just so vanilla that these receivers aren't getting open if Bryce Young's got time to go through four progressions and we haven't completed a pass against Mercer uh, not that there's a problem but that first half was very sloppy and I thought the play calling was vanilla. I thought sometimes Bill O'Brien was calling a play based on what Mercer was showing defensively. That would be best suited for Mercer to make a play to kind of send a message to his teams. And listen, you guys aren't that dominant. You know, if you think you're so good here, here's the numbers stacked against you and make the play. There was a couple of times on a, on a uh, second and five Mercer's got like a three man front and we run a three man route into seven or eight guys in coverage. So you know there was there were some things that went on in the game. I thought defensively Alabama's great. That Mercer team the week before won like 70 to nothing and had like 800 yards of offense. Not saying that Alabama shouldn't steamroll an FCS team, but you're playing a team that runs the bone. it's hard to defend. You're not going to see it another time this year. Kind of a weird week, but you could have also been um Florida State and losing to JSU and you could have been um Notre Dame almost getting upset on a Saturday so there's positives there's negatives and Alabama's going to have to step it up though this week on the road in the swamp tough place to play
1: of course you would think that intensity at practice getting ready getting prepared getting mentally focused for a road trip to Gainesville that shouldn't be hard but it seems like for the last week or so now Nick Saban's kind of harping and getting down on his team a little bit and trying to fire him up for questions of lack of intensity or focus right now
5: Yeah, it was funny. Um, After the game, Nick Saban's doing his post-game TV uh, interview with Cole Kubrick, and he's, like, smiling, knowing that. he. I think he's thinking, I got this team right where I want them. They come out, they blow the doors off Miami. The game was never close. They could have named their number in that game. Now, Miami almost got beat by App State Saturday, so maybe they're not as good as everybody thought they were, and maybe neither is anybody in the ACC outside of Clemson. But, you know, I I think he knows that this team didn't – play to the level that it expected to. It got the win obviously. And now you can kind of ride these guys into this Florida game. I think you're gonna see a high level of intensity. I think you're gonna see some play calls obviously that you didn't see in the first two weeks because Alabama's kind of been able to just do what it what it's wanted to in those games. And you might be see a little more versatility out of this Alabama offense. I think the key, in all honesty, is uh Slade Bolden is not a he's he's just not a threat. And the Alabama offense opened up when JoJo Earl got on the field. Williams and Matty, they're just fine. But, I mean, if, if you want to lock down two guys, you can't. I mean, it, the possibility is there unless you have some dynamic wide receivers in that wide receiver three and wide receiver four and can your back catch it out of the backfield. Well, the offensive line hasn't held up, so they're having to bring running backs in the block and a potentially a tight end. So now you're running three-man routes, and Slade Bolden's been the number three guy I think Slade Bolden lost the kick return to the punt returning job. For the most part, still very reliable. He's going to catch it every time. But from a, um, a, an electrifying play standpoint, he's not going to bring that to you. JoJo Earl kind of took the majority of those punt returns, especially after the first quarter. And I think JoJo Earl is going to continue to take reps from Slade Bolden at the receiver position to give Alabama a little bit more electric, electricity in the receiving game.
2: I asked you this question last week, and I'm going to ask it one more time before Alabama really gets into the the meat of their schedule. Obviously, with Florida coming up this week, is Texas A&M still the most difficult opponent remaining on Alabama's schedule, or is it Florida or Auburn now? Well,
5: it's definitely not Texas A&M. I mean, they're going to lose a quarterback for five or six weeks, um, and the guy that stepped in for King, uh, he's just not going to get it done. Don't even know his name. Um, their defense still good. Still like Texas A&M's defense, but this goes for probably 100 out of the 130 teams in the country. If, if Bryce Young goes down, Alabama's year is, is going to be very, very tough. If Bo Nicks goes down, Auburn's year, very, very tough. I mean, you saw and Bennett go in for JT Daniels, but they're going to have a hard time winning big games with and Bennett if JT Daniels can't get back in the lineup from that oblique injury. So Texas a and I mean, obviously they're, they're really not a threat how many points can they score on this Alabama defense? How many points are they going to be able to score on anybody's defense from what I watched at Colorado? So it's not Texas A&M. It's going to be Auburn, Florida, and Ole Miss. I think they're probably all pretty even. Auburn's probably the toughest one because Auburn's going to be one of the, probably the toughest place Alabama plays this year, especially if they're going into the Iron Bowl with two losses or less. Uh, we know how that's turned out against Alabama. and I thought Alabama last weekend when Will Anderson got hit on the knee – It was kind of deja vu all over again. You thought Alabama might be playing the rest of the year without its two best pass rushers, very similar to 2017, very similar to 2019, where Alabama has to play the whole season with very minimal linebacker depth. They're losing starters left and right. And if Alabama loses Chris Allen and Will Anderson for the year in back-to-back weeks, I mean, you you start to get that that bad feeling in your stomach saying how many more injuries can this defense take before they're going into an Iron Bowl and jordan hair with three or four guys missing on defense we've seen how that's turned out luckily will anderson's okay
1: shifting gears to this week's matchup against florida we got jeremy law of radio alabama sports don neb with us what types of things have you seen from florida through these two weeks of course they have played two of the worst florida schools that they could play from their in-state opponent pool but what are you seeing from the gators at this point
5: i'm not i don't think we've seen um much of what they're going to sh- show against Alabama. Dan Mullen knows that this is a – this is a – could be a career-changing win for him. If he beats Alabama in the swamp, I mean, he has a chance to be back in Atlanta, especially depending on how – I mean, what happens to JT Daniels. So if he can win this game, I mean, it's going to propel Florida. I'm not so sure how good Florida is. And They played USF, who has one of the worst defenses in the country – um, but also Alabama's preparing for two quarterbacks right now. Is it going to be Emory Jones? He says it's going to be Emory Jones. Does Dan Mullen? But um, you know Anthony Richardson doesn't look bad. He's a big kid, fast kid, strong kid. Um, Alabama's going to have. I think Alabama's going to have his hands full for at least a half until they can really settle into this game. I mean, it's just so much unknown. And hot quarterbacks have beaten Alabama. Richardson uses his feet. So does Emory Jones. I'd play Richardson. I haven't really seen much from Emory Jones, but Alabama. And a tough place to play week three against a team with um, similar talent, I think it's going to be a tough test.
1: What are the keys to the ball game for you on Saturday?
5: Well, how about the offensive line block somebody in the first half? That would be great. Uh, it's just really surprising to me that you haven't seen J.C. Latham at right tackle. He was the guy right behind Kendall Randolph for all of fall camp. I thought he got some really good reps at right guard, he missed a lot of fall camp, so he's trying to get his reps here at the beginning of the season. So the right side of the Alabama offensive line, they're going to have to block somebody, and they're going to have to be good enough to go hat on a hat where Alabama can have four- to five-man routes. I mean, that's what makes the spread successful. You're not going to win running the spread if you're having to run three-man routes because you have to have a tight end and a running back staying in the backfield and blocking for you. The offensive line can go hat on a hat, Alabama is going to have all the success that it wants Saturday
1: Jeremy appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today hope you have a good rest of your week my man thanks Noah y'all take care that was Jeremy Law of Sports.net joining us for the Monday edition of On the Line to talk a little Alabama Crimson Tide football. Lance, takeaways there
2: going into another week for the Alabama Crimson Tide. Yeah, I agree with I agree with Jeremy as far as what Alabama needs to do against Florida. They've got to be able to to keep Bryce Young protected. And then on the other side, they've got to be able to contain either Emory Jones or Anthony Richardson, assuming it's going to be uh, Emory Jones all the way because of uh, Richardson's injury against South Florida. Um, but yeah they've got to be able to protect Bryce Young from that Florida pass rush guys like Zachary Carter who is an excellent sack artist coming off the edge so it's going to be key that Alabama gets into a rhythm early but if that Florida pass rush gets after him, uh, things could get interesting in Gainesville
1: when we come back we'll give some takeaways from the other college football games that we saw this past weekend some major shakeups in the AP top 25 we we'll talk about that when we come back Wrapping up the first hour of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Got about 10 minutes left here in hour number one, and then we still have another hour packed for everybody out here. We haven't even gotten to all the other things that happened around college football this past weekend, and there were some major shakeups in the AP Top 25 Poland, rightfully so. It was a wacky weekend and uh based on some of our picks and some of our selections we did a lot better this week guys we really did when it came down to our picks and we'll keep going through that throughout the rest of the week but Lance I want to switch gears here give one takeaway from other college football games this weekend we got three right here to go through Oregon takes down Ohio Ohio
2: State 35 to 28 what's the takeaway you had from that ball game my takeaway is all I did all offseason was harp on the fact that Ohio State secondary was the thing that was going to hold them back apparently it's their rush defense apparently it's that front seven because through two games against minnesota and oregon i mean those their two opponents have gashed them in the ground game could
1: be both lines it could be offensive and defensive lines because cj stroud has been has had some pressure put on him at, at times of course he's got great outlets for receivers and whatnot and have got good skill position players but Ohio State only averaged four point one yards on the ground. Can you believe that?
2: Yeah, and only one hundred and twenty-eight yards rushing. Yeah, it's um, it, it it's it's surprising to me. That I would say that's my biggest takeaway. And then Oregon, two hundred and sixty-nine yards on the ground. Uh, it's it's not what I expected, but the end result is still the same. That their defense is causing problems. And and C.J. Stroud, as good as he was up until that final series, you know, statistically uh he he's uh he's not been he's not been this world beater quarterback and i think that's going to hold them back in potentially another regular season game before the season ends i can definitely see a world where cj struggles and that ground and that that rush defense uh just cannot get it done my
1: takeaway from oregon's 35 to 28 upset of ohio state is anthony brown just <laughs> has to manage games and oregon very well will go undefeated this season now not that they will go on un- I should say will go undefeated through the regular season not that they will go undefeated when the college football playoff or anything like that not even that they will necessarily win the Pac-12 title game because the team coming from the south which I think at this point my favorite to come from the south after USC's loss would be UCLA of course we've only gotten to see UCLA twice and I think we do need more on their resume before we can really categorize this as a, as a real Pac-12 contender. I mean they're in the mix after UC- USC lost but Oregon the way that they ran the football Lance blew my mind on Saturday 7.1 yards per carry 269 rushing yards and you and I said this when we were making our picks on Friday we said that we didn't think Oregon was going to be able to push them around they didn't have Coquise the great fullback from Minnesota I didn't think they could do it what they do they did it they moved earth I now have to take Oregon seriously because this offensive line is much better than I thought it was going to be. This may be the best offensive line in the Pac-12. And if they can block like that against Ohio State's players, even if they are underachieving, looking across the rest of the Pac-12, look at how Stanford moved USC around this past Saturday night. If you were still up at that time, 42-28, right? Oregon should be able to win in the trenches against any team that they play left on their schedule. And if that's the case... Their quarterback, all he has to do, Anthony Brown, he doesn't have to be C.J. Stroud throwing for 438 yards. Oregon doesn't want to be like that. They want to be able to control the game on the ground. They don't want their quarterback to make mistakes. He delivered two touchdown passes and 236 yards. That's what they want. And he had less than a 50% completion percentage. He was 17 for 35. That's what they want.
2: That's all he's got to do. Just don't turn the ball over. They're going to be in great shape. Yeah, and you talk about that schedule. They only have one ranked opponent. Uh, on their schedule current, currently and that's uh, October 23rd at number 13 UCLA but I mean you look up and down the schedule outside of that matchup and they've got a really good shot to win their division and the Pac-12 because like you mentioned Anthony Brown all he's got to do is be a game manager.
1: Stony Brook is next week win 3-0 that then get Arizona who's 0-2 and just got beat Who did they lose to this past weekend? They lost to San Diego
2: State. And it was not close. Let me say this real quick. You look at the AP Top 25, you look at the teams that are receiving votes outside of it, Arizona got six votes. They're 0-2 and just lost to San Diego State, 38-14. The six people that voted, why, (laughs) is my question. Then you've got
1: Stanford after that. There's been the good and the bad of Stanford here early on. Of course, they got dominated by Kansas State 24-7, to but somehow flipped that into a 42-28 to win against USC. I think that's going to be a semi-good football game. But once again, if you can dominate the trenches like you did against Ohio State, why can't you do that against Stanford? And if Stanford gets beat up front with the way that they play football, that is not good. That, that is what their whole scheme on both sides of the ball is predicated on. After that, you get a Cal team that's 0-2 at this point, just blew a massive lead to TCU, got beat by a Mountain West school in week one. They'll get UCLA, like you mentioned, number 13 in the country. That one's on the road. So that one very well. They could end up losing that game. After that, Colorado did not impress me this past Saturday, despite holding Texas A&M to 10 points, and that was more of a Texas A&M issue than a Colorado success. Washington's 0-2 at this point they got manhandled by Michigan and I don't think Michigan's that great of a football team after that Washington State's 1-1 lost to Utah State in week one Utah just lost to BYU there's not a whole lot of confidence that I have in the Utes anymore after I was their champion all offseason and then they get Oregon State at the end I mean Oregon's schedule really shapes up for 11-1 and or 12-0 and if they win that game against UCLA Put them, in the, put them in the college football playoff. Pac-12's back.
2: My, my concern, though, is at the end of the day, if you put that Pac-12 team in and they've only beaten either UCLA in the regular season and in, in, in the conference title or just once in the conference title, I mean, they've not had enough tough competition to really put themselves in a position to where they can go as the fourth seed and beat Alabama or a team like Alabama.
1: And I don't know if there are too many teams at this point that have right. shown us the ability to beat Alabama. There are only a few that I think can can compete on that same playing field at this point, but there's still a lot of time and a lot of development to go, right? So I open the show saying, don't overreact yet. It's just two weeks. Teams may not look good right now, but they will improve. Auburn didn't look good in the early stages of the 2017 season. They didn't look good at midseason after they blew the lead to LSU. What happened a couple of weeks later, three weeks later, they dominate Georgia, and then they go and dominate Alabama. Teams can improve. It's not necessarily a static trajectory for every team in college football because they look bad right now. Don't don't write them off or anything like that. I think other teams will emerge. And you're right, maybe Oregon doesn't have the athletes up front or on the perimeter to compete with in Alabama because we really haven't seen that out of Pac-12 schools traditionally. But I'll counterpoint you here, and I'll say, to be fair, what's different about Oregon's slate here versus what Clemson typically plays or maybe what Ohio True. State typically plays at least like I think UCLA is good and they beat Ohio State right Oregon's probably done more than what Clemson's done most years
2: yeah and and, and I think that's fair but at the same time hey maybe we should put three SEC teams in the college football (laughs) playoff in at that point you talk about not not discrediting teams and and throwing and throwing them away early in the season what are your thoughts on Texas A&M after beating Colorado seven to ten I mean that was that was a struggle
1: They've got a long way to go on offense. That defense is good. Now, first of all, I don't think Colorado is a very good football team. They are not. They got a decent rushing attack. I was shocked at their ability. Like, they could not throw the football. I was shocked that a team that was as one-dimensional as Colorado actually could still generate somewhat of a rushing attack against that A&M defense, which makes me wonder what that A&M defense is going to look like against teams that are balanced. Like, what's Ole Miss going to do? what's Auburn going to do that like clearly they all know how to run the ball really well but they also can pass a lot better than Colorado could they were they're, they're not one-dimensional at least we don't think Auburn's one-dimensional but there are other teams in this league that could do more than just run the ball and you, and you look at the Kent State game and they gave up five point or that they, they give up five yards per carry it's like that, that trend kind of continued a little bit they didn't give up five yards a carry but Colorado still was able to run the ball I was I was very underwhelmed with Texas A&M on Saturday, enough in my mind to move them outside the top ten. Of course, the country doesn't view it that way, but I am I think there should be major concerns in College Station about their football team at this point, especially with Haynes King out. That's it for hour number one of On the Line. We'll be back with hour number two, still talking some Texas football after they lost to Arkansas.
0: Or
1: toll-free at 888-382-7502. Hour number two of On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Fun hour number one there. And if you missed any of it, go and find us on demand on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. That's how you can find our show on demand taking a look back at some of the high school football action this past weekend or this past Friday that is and that means it's time for our point broadband high school player of the week and this week's is Auburn high school's Clyde Pittman the junior quarterback was 11 for 13 passing with 198 yards and four touchdowns and Auburn's 49 to 13 win over Dothan the Tigers advance to 4 0 overall and 2 0 in the region with a road game against Jeff Davis coming up this Friday. Clyde Pittman, your Point Broadband High School Player of the Week. Point Broadband, smarter, faster fiber internet. Point Broadband.com
2: good high school football this past Friday yeah good for Clyde Pittman man is is that the second time that he's been player of the week that is he is out there playing really well man uh I think an issue over the past couple of years for Auburn High is the concern has been that they haven't been able to throw the football but if you're going 11 of 13 and th- uh four of your 11 completions were for touchdowns about as efficient efficient as uh, it can get
1: and kind of like Oregon I guess when you've got an offensive line as good as Auburn High School does Duh control everything on the ground, move the football along at will, and then have your quarterback just no mistakes and then throw your touchdown passes as you will, right? Yeah. <laughs> to like, and Auburn dominated Dothan 49-13. to Opelika got a shutout win over Ufala. They move into that first-place position. Still got to worry about Lee Montgomery. That's another major contender in their region in 6A, but I'll say there's some good things going on in the area right now in high school football. Let's move into our daily segment that we do to start off hour number two. Making headlines, bouncing around some other things going on in the sports world and some news out of Austin, Texas. After their disappointing 40-21 to showing against the Arkansas Razorbacks, the Texas Longhorns are turning to Casey Thompson as the team's new starting quarterback moving away from Hudson Card.
2: And this surprises me none because I thought he would be the starter to begin the season. I mean, he looked like he looked like Texas's quarterback of the future in that bowl game against Colorado last season, where he threw four touchdowns and 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 just looked perfect. He would have it looked like oh, this kid's going to be a perfect pit, fit for uh for Sarkeesian's offense. They went with Card. Obviously, reports out of camp was saying that Sarkeesian was not really I- inspired by his quarterback play, and he eventually went with Hudson, but. Yeah, after seeing Card after, uh, through through two weeks, I, I I think it's a good it's a good thing to give uh, Thompson uh, a, 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 at least a shot at performing better. But this is not good for Texas and Sarkeesian right out of the gate to go with one guy, uh, throw throw all your chips in one pot and say we're going to go with the freshman. His, his his he's obviously not playing at the level that you want him to, and then you have to go back to Casey Thompson, the junior. Um, really shaky start for Texas uh, for a team that I thought, and I, th- I think they still have the opportunity to uh, compete in the Big 12 this season. You definitely think,
1: and and we weren't there obviously, and and he had his reasons for going with Hudson Card, but examining the decision, you wonder if this is a misstep this year that could affect the entire trajectory of the season. And there have been some Texas teams that lose a game early on or 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 maybe even started out hot and maybe impressed you right out the gates like this Texas team did and beat a Louisiana Lafayette handle them in week one and then the next week or the next couple weeks they drop some games you're like man you guys should have won those football games what happened and you wonder if the quarterback situation if we don't we don't know yet but you wonder if it was mismanaged if deciding to go away from the guy that you said back you know, last season and, and the playing time and the experience that he got, he didn't do anything wrong. You look at, the, uh, at him on film, he had five touchdowns, no picks. He was efficient, showed his dual threat ability. You, I just don't know. We weren't there, obviously, so you don't know what happened during the spring and the summer for him to lose that job to a new guy coming in but you would have thought that they would have gone with the presumed you know he was a semi incumbent obviously Sam Ellinger Mm. not there so he's not an incumbent but he at least had experience you know he was he was like the vice quarterback last year you know you thought that he had a shot and they go with someone who had no playing time and that obviously when the pressure and the bullets started flying and things really hit the fan and they were playing a a power five football team he struggled.
2: And it was against a, a Power 5 team that has not made a bowl since, what, 2015, 2016? I mean, this is not this has not been a, a great uh, Arkansas Razorback program uh, over the past few seasons. Yeah, and, and Card struggled, man. I mean, you put him in that environment, and, and he was really, really struggling out there. And it gives me concern, to kind of tie this back to Auburn, it kind of gives me a little bit of concern for Auburn's matchup with the Razorbacks later in the year, uh and it was something that we talked about during the offseason. What's the biggest trap game on the schedule? And I said Arkansas uh was the biggest trap game, but I had no idea that the Razorbacks would be able to play to the level that they're playing right now. Now obviously they're still not they're not a good they're still not a good passing offense. I mean KJ Jefferson is not blossomed into that guy and I think they're not not gonna ask him to be that guy. But that defense has been better than we expected. That whole team has been better than we expected. The
1: lines, the offensive and defensive lines have
2: improved. The play calling's been good. I mean, you saw all these different little wrinkles from Kendall Bryles, the offensive coordinator, like that fullback dive early in the game to kind of like put Traylon Burks in the backfield as the deep man and put 20 as the up back and the fullback, and then to send somebody in motion, and then at the end of the day, it's just a fullback uh, dive, and it's a touchdown. To see cool stuff like that. I mean, they've got it going on right now, and it's – it, the the SEC is is far and above I think every other conference right now and Arkansas is just another one of those teams but yeah to, to go back to Texas I mean it's it's their it's their welcome to the SEC moment you know how everybody whenever they get to college they don't really like enjoy orientation like they don't want to be there this was Texas's orientation to the <laughs> SEC and with uh, their
1: first college test yes and they
2: failed it because they didn't study and they failed it man
1: that's funny Moving on to our second headline here, let's head on to the NFL. Our first Monday night football of the season is on tonight with the Ravens at the Raiders. Some good football this evening.
2: Yeah, and it's going to be exciting to see how Lamar plays, and obviously I've talked a little bit about Derek Carr this offseason. I feel like he's a little bit underrated as a quarterback. He's been efficient. He's played well. It's just that defense for the Raiders has just not lived up to expectations, and I think you and I picked this game, Noah, just just last week, and my kind of thoughts were – yeah, Lamar Jackson and, and this offense, they're going to be able to run all and throw all over the Raiders, even with all of the injuries at running back uh, for, for Baltimore. I think they're going to be able to get it done offensively. But if, if the Raiders can keep up with Baltimore, throw the ball around the yard, I think it's going to be a fun game. We're
1: going to have to see how far this Raiders defense has come from last year and their issues that they had. They were one of the worst statistical defenses in the NFL last year. And then look at the Ra- uh, the Ravens, not they they were the worst passing offense from a yards per game standpoint, but they were the best rushing attack, and that still resulted in points. Let's see if a defense can finally catch up and maybe befuddle Lamar Jackson. It's Monday night. We'll see how it goes. Moving on to our next headline: kickoff times released for Week Four of college football. At least some of them. There's still about half the slate where you're still looking to fill in the gaps. But you know when Auburn and Alabama are kicking off in two weeks when. Auburn's taking on Georgia State at 3 p.m. and Alabama's taking on Southern Miss at 6:30, 7 o'clock.
2: Yeah, I believe so. I can go check on it for you real quick.
1: But I'm obs- I, I, Selfishly, I don't want to see Auburn play at 3 p.m. That that is not a time that is uh, is coveted for myself because. That means that I'm probably going to miss most of the 11 a.m. window. I'm definitely going to miss the 2.30 p.m. window, and then I'm going to miss a portion of the evening window, and that is upsetting.
2: Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say is, is, you know, it's great to have afternoon and night games for Auburn, but 3 p.m. is not the best the best time to have a game because, like you just mentioned, you're going to miss the early games, and you're going to miss a little bit of the late games, and you're, you're not going to see any of the the middle-of-the-pack games there. Uh, at 3 p.m. yeah Alabama playing at 6 30 p.m. central time against Southern Miss uh, in just a couple of weeks. So. Both
1: games are on SEC network.
2: Yeah it, it, it's uh, I'm not I'm per- like you said selfishly I'd like to have a night game but I'm just thankful that it's not 11 a.m. Uh, like it, I, I know that I'm not going to be able to get to watch all the college football I want but man auburn does not play well early in the morning and to have some time to kind of get prepared i think three o'clock is good
1: i want to remind folks that this is the week four slate this is not this week this is the week four slate some kickoff times released we can go through that a little bit right here some notable games that week 11 a.m fox it'll be number 12 notre dame against number 18 wisconsin that's actually being played in soldier field in chicago played in the bears stadium That'll be a pretty good football game. One of those teams may not be in the top twenty-five after that week. <laughs> uh, moving along, some. If, mo- if you ask me, I could tell you who it is. <laughs> some other games going on that week: uh, number seven Texas A&M, number twenty Arkansas. That one being played in Arlington, Texas, at at and Stadium. That's two thirty CBS. Typically, that's an eleven a.m. kick. That one at two thirty, catching on CBS. That's going to be a fun football game and uh, possibly very decisive for a Texas A&M team that early on this season is now needing to figure out some things on offense with Haynes King going down with an injury, which I didn't put this down on our headlines, but Haynes King dealing with an injury that's going to sideline him for some weeks.
2: Yeah, and I want to say that Noah and I, whenever we were doing our official SEC predictions, we both said Arkansas is going to beat Texas A&M that seems more real now than ever you
1: gotta wait until it actually happens though you you can't claim that bag until it happens Oh, i won't claim it i'm just saying
2: (laughs) this this game now that arkansas is in the top 25 seems like it's not as far out of reach as somebody might have once thought heading into the year
1: sure tennessee at number 11 florida 6 p.m espn game that night and then um, looks to be prime time possibly that evening i don't know if this is where game day is going but The 630 ABC game is West Virginia at number three, Oklahoma. Man, what does Oklahoma's schedule look like? When do they play a good football team?
2: Never. Yeah, I mean, with the way the Big 12 looks right now, I would not disagree. This week they play Nebraska at 11 a.m. Send your thoughts and prayers to uh, Nebraska. That's going to be an ugly game. West Virginia at Kansas State, Texas, TCU at Kansas, Texas Tech at Baylor, And then they don't play Iowa State at home until November 20th.
1: Let's just be real. Oklahoma's playoff hopes, they reside October 2nd through October 16th at Kansas State versus Texas and versus TCU. And don't tell me that that is not... Possible for them to lose one of those games down that stretch because there's been some bad Texas teams recently to beat Oklahoma, and Kansas State currently has a winning streak on Oklahoma. So they'll tell me that that's not possible.
2: And it's at Kansas State, guys, and ESPN's FPI only gives the Wildcats a 9.2% chance to win that game. I feel like, based on history, uh, it should be just a little closer.
1: (laughs) Our next headline here AP Top 25 poll was released with major shakeups in the rankings, including the fact that Oregon and Iowa are ranked higher than clemson in these rankings here i'll run through the ap top 25 poll for everybody if they haven't seen it yet one alabama with 60 first place votes Two georgia with three first place votes three oklahoma four oregon five iowa six clemson seven texas a&m eight cincinnati nine ohio state 10 penn state 11 florida 12 notre dame 13 ucla 14 iowa state 15 virginia tech 16 coastal carolina 17 old miss 18 wisconsin 19 arizona state 20 arkansas 21 north carolina 22 auburn 23 byu 24 miami and michigan slides in at 25
2: raise your hand if you think ucf should be ranked over michigan
1: everyone in this studio should raise their wait over who uh michigan oh yeah yeah everybody should raise their hands i'm i ranked Michigan in our poll which we will release tomorrow I don't I don't want to confuse people do you think are on the line poll and the AP top 25 poll I guess our power rankings if you will do you but, think I
2: pulled a fast one on you and said Notre Dame and everybody's hands went up? I thought you, I you like, said yes.
1: somebody else I was like wait a minute, wait a minute. who Hold did up. you say what am I signing up for I ranked Michigan in mine I believe at 24 so maybe I should take my hand down but if I had to it's it's splitting hairs at this point it really is, because UCF, honestly, maybe has looked more impressive than Michigan, but better win, maybe Michigan beating Washington just because they're a is power it? Is it, though? Yeah, because I guess Boise State or Washington, Boise State probably would win that football the game. The Mountain West runs the Pac-12. <laughs> At least the bottom half of it, that is. Um, yeah, maybe they should merge with the Mountain West and not the Big 12. That's true. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> Uh, I don't have any really gripes. I don't, I don't really have any gripes with this, poll. I, I feel like a should drop more than two spots, um, but I don't really have any gripes with it. I think this is about how I expected it to look. I knew that people would pole vault Iowa up to where they're at. I knew that Oregon would climb to where they're at. I think Oregon's is deserved. I actually have, and if I were going to rank this out, I would one Alabama, two Georgia, three Oklahoma, four Clemson, five Oregon, and then... Um, I think I went six Cincinnati. I have, I have Iowa a little bit lower. I have Iowa at like nine. And my reason for this is I don't want people to overreact. That has been a big theme for today's show. That's going to be the title of the podcast in some variation at the end of today. Do not overreact to what you have seen these first two weeks with anything that's happened in college football. Iowa had 178 yards against Iowa State. They had two pick sixes against Indiana. You take the two pick sixes out against Indiana, their offense only scored 20 points, and they would win 20-6 to against IU. After that, once again, they had 178 yards against Iowa State. They averaged like 1.7 yards per carry against Iowa State. I don't think Iowa State's looked good these first two weeks either i just don't have a lot of confidence that i would would beat some of these teams inside the top 10 although they have beaten two teams that have numbers next to their names indiana is no longer in the top 25 and a lot of people have sold their stock in the hoosiers and iowa state has not looked good at this point when in the past and i don't mean this as a slight but still when in the past has beating iowa state in indiana been grounds for putting a team inside the top six
2: i don't think it's ever ever yeah
1: right and and granted that may be a little bit of a jab considering that they were they were ranked this year and i don't want to say just because the team's never been ranked doesn't mean that they can't be a good football team or that they can't be ranked but i don't think that iowa state's very good and i don't think indiana's very good at this point after what we've watched iowa hasn't looked good in beating those two teams at this point don't be fooled just because they beat them Pump the brakes. Let's see what these guys do in Big Ten play, because at some point that offense is going to have to produce. And I don't know if they'll be able to when it gets to that time. Dude,
2: I I I look at this schedule and there are two ranked opponents for Iowa left. And I want to ask you at home against Penn State and at Wisconsin, do you do you think that Iowa has a shot in either of those games? You think they split it one and one? They definitely have a shot against everybody
1: on their schedule, but I I'm not gonna sit here and say that Iowa's gonna go, you know, undefeated or win every game left just because they they're all of a sudden ranked number six in the country right like once again I go back to this team at some point it's going to have to score and and honestly at this moment I like Wisconsin and Penn State more than Iowa and people may think that I'm crazy for that but history tells me that those two teams a are typically better than Iowa and b if you're going to get into ground and pound football between Iowa and Wisconsin I like the way that that game would pan out with Wisconsin controlling the trenches and being able to run the football and honestly find the points in like a thirteen to ten nasty ball game. But I think they would figure it out,
2: yeah. I will say ESPN favors Iowa in every single game from here on out. And I can definitely see them going ten and two or 11 and one which is just wild to me because like you said offensively they've not been fantastic and they've relied on turnovers to kind of put them over the edge
1: and look they play in the bad division this is the rest of the schedule for iowa they got kent state next that's going to be an easy win they might only win like 34 to 7 but they're going to win easily right and then they got colorado state a team that just lost to vanderbilt after that you go on the road to maryland that's a potential trap game you're going on the road to Maryland. You start to love yourself a little bit when you see, oh, hey, guys, I'm I'm 4-0. and Look at me. We're inside the top five, or we're right outside the top five. You go to Maryland, and then, bam, Talia Tagavaloa.
2: That's where dreams die. Yeah. yeah,
1: I mean, and Maryland's not bad. They're 2-0, and and Maryland at that point may be looking for some respect. I mean, what's coming up for Maryland? They get to play an Illinois team that's down on their luck at this point. They get to
2: play Kent State after that. Man, does every Big Ten team play Kent State? Kent State's non-conference schedule consisted of A&M, Maryland and Iowa, like what's Jeez. going on there?
1: So, I think Maryland's got a really good shot honestly to be 4-0 going into that ball game, not ranked at that point probably, and they're going to be looking to upset somebody. They will get up for that ball game whereas if Iowa does not play very well, I could see Maryland be able to find enough points to upset them and, and get inside the top 25. After that, they've got to play Penn State. They get to host Penn State, but just often get up for that game. And I think Penn State's good. I don't think they're great. I don't think Penn State's a top ten team either from what we've seen. But there's just not enough teams that look like top ten teams at this point. And so just don't overreact, but there are still some losses on Iowa schedule to go around. And I, I don't think that they at this point look like what you would expect the number five team in the country to look like.
2: Yeah, I completely agree with agree with you. And man, you look at that you look at that Maryland game just three weeks out i'm not calling for an upset or anything but that that is a that is a perfect trap game because you're looking at the weeks after that penn state start uh, to love yourself
1: yeah. inside the top five you start to buy what nick saban would say is rat poison and then all of a sudden uh the terrapins come in and the snapping turtle gets you in the trap game so i'm just telling you watch out it's it's gonna be uh that that's a i'm with you that's a potential trap game they got penn state after that i still think wisconsin can beat them i mean what does wisconsin look like eight weeks from now whenever they play i and mean, it is about that time it is about two months away but what does wisconsin look like when it gets to be november late october i, I still think they're going to be doing what they do but you know beating their head against the wall with the rushing attack and there are very few teams in the Big Ten that are as good at running the football and winning in the trenches as Wisconsin is. Now, can they throw the football? No, but I don't think Iowa can throw the football. What did Petrus do this past weekend for Iowa? Did throw the ball a whole lot? Did they? You know, it's just been really ugly football from some Big Ten schools out these gates. And until some of them start showing me that hey, they can, they have some semblance of a passing game that is elevated above 105 pass yards in a ball game, right? Or however many Petrus had. Uh, then I will start thinking that they're a good football team. But at this point, I I don't think there are too many complete teams in the Big Ten right out the gates. Really, nobody's complete. Nobody's shown the ability to be that. I mean, Ohio State even just lost against Oregon. That's another team that dropped like lead that I didn't know if – I think that may be a little bit too quick to write Ohio State off. I know at this point they've got issues. They need to still improve. They They got moved around in the trenches in their first two games. That's not a good sign. But they're still Ohio State. They still have better players than everyone in the Big Ten. Wouldn't you agree with that? Yeah. And if you compared Ohio State to other teams in this top ten right now, if Ohio State and Iowa play tomorrow, and people may disagree with me on this, but if Ohio State and Iowa
2: play tomorrow, I would pick Ohio State. And I wouldn't be mad at that. I wouldn't be mad at that at all. But, yeah, yeah, I don't think there's enough offense from Iowa – to to make that game to to win that game I think it would be competitive if Iowa played Clemson tomorrow who would you select uh Clemson exactly right so there's a team that I would I would
1: rank ahead of Iowa at this point if Iowa played Oregon tomorrow who would you pick
2: if I if Iowa played Oregon I would take Oregon yeah right
1: and of course Oregon's already ranked in front of them I would take Iowa over A&M at this point A&M's got major issues as well if Iowa played Cincinnati who would you take
2: I want to lean (laughs) Iowa but Cincinnati definitely has the opportunity to win that game
1: and, pro- and possibly a lot better quarterback play right it may- and maybe you'd give them in the passing game better skill position players at this point from what we've seen out of those two respective passing games and Belichick is shaking his head right now but Iowa has not shown evidence of a of a superior passing game to many teams in college football and you need that you absolutely need that to win close football games they didn't need it this past week because Brock Purdy was throwing to the other team three times <laughs> but that's not going to happen against the best teams in the country. Iowa State is not one of the best teams in the country. They're just not. And we were wrong about that. We thought Iowa State was going to be very good. We were wrong. So I just think I would even honestly take Penn State over Iowa at this point. If Penn State played Iowa tomorrow, I would. So let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we will keep breaking out some of the action that happened this past week in college football. back on on the line Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 1067 at Fox Sports Central Alabama head to the phone lines now number to call 334-321-1390 specter is on the line with us Specter, how's your weekend That
4: yeah, was pretty good pretty good. good I was gonna get your uh, analysis on Matt Jones performance
1: yeah Matt Jones looked good of course uh final score I think it was 17-16 Dolphins Dolphins are good too like that was a team that was near playoffs last year. If they had a little bit better of an offense, which I still don't think their offense is that good this year, um, I thought Mac Jones looked really good. They're obviously easing him into it. That's a good start. It was better than Trevor Lawrence. It's better than Justin Fields. It's better than a lot of guys, yeah. a lot of rookies. Mac Jones possibly had the best. Um, I'd have to go back and look at some other stat lines, but he had the best uh, rookie performance yesterday, probably.
4: I think so. I, he took them down there inside to five until they fumbled. Yeah, and uh, I think they would have won the game if it wasn't for that. But uh, yeah, I thought he looked really good. Uh, he's only going to get better. But I, I'm really concerned about his backup. Who, who is who is the backup now?
1: What is that? Is that is that Brian Hoyer? Brian Hoyer yeah. right now? Yeah.
4: Oh, uh, okay. All right, that's, that's right. hims injured, isn't he? Yeah,
1: he he had like a a back injury of sorts, which I think has got him on. I don't think he's out for the rest of the season. But I do think he's he's out for like the, the considerable future. But even if he does come back, I wouldn't be shocked if they – I doubt they go back to Stidham. I would imagine that they'll stick with Brian Hoyer. Yeah.
4: I guess Cam's out for the season, right? He's not playing this year?
1: Well, you know, I think he wants to be a starter. That's kind of the vibe that I get from hearing some of the things that he says. You just got to wait to see – it's you got to get past these first couple of weeks somebody's got to get hurt a quarterback has to be playing horrible for someone else to want to for someone to you know bring him in but we talked about the Washington football team you know his former head coach Ron Rivera is the head coach of the Washington football team and Ryan Fitzpatrick's hurt now they had to go to Taylor Heineke in that ball game I think there's room for him but they even signed a quarterback they uh they signed Kyle Shermer to the practice squad they didn't even go Cam Newton so I I do not know he may not have a team by the end of the year.
4: Yeah, I think you're right. I think he may end up at Washington,
1: and yeah. and it uh, seems like that would be a good fit.
4: Yeah, yeah. All right. I just wanted to get y'all's take on on Jones, and uh, yeah, I, I still think he's he's the, he's he's going to be the man of the future for them.
1: One hundred percent. Bright future for the guys making all the throws. Decisive. Patriots fans should be pumped.
4: Yeah, looking forward to this weekend's Auburn game, though.
1: That's right. This I is the one where we now. finally figure some things out
4: yeah i want to see what we were, what we're
1: really all about that's right well specter right, we uh it. we want to hear from you throughout the week about it all right see you guys now was specter on the line with us number to call 334-321-1390 looking forward to his calls throughout the week uh getting his thoughts on the Auburn Penn State game coming up
2: yeah and when you when you talk about Mac Jones I mean almost a 75 percent completion percentage 280 yards uh he was efficient like you said he made all the throws didn't really make bad decisions and then like uh like specter mentioned he got them down inside the red zone to score it's just uh it's just uh new england could not capitalize i think new england's got a bright future with mac jones
1: you know who i didn't give enough credit that had an awesome weekend jalen hurts Mm -hmm. three touchdowns 27 35 264 yards through the air he looked apart good for the eagles man they might have their guy 32 to 6 win over the falcons 30 minutes left in the Monday edition of On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Go and find all the content the show is putting out on RadioAlabamaSports.net and on the Sports Facebook page. Follow it on Twitter as well at RadioALSports. It's the place to be for Auburn and Alabama content as well as high school sports content. Once again, that's RadioAlabamaSports.net. All right, Lance, going back to Auburn's 62-0 win over Alabama State. Two weeks are in the books. Now some real football coming up this weekend against Penn State. Let's grade Auburn's position groups through the first two games. So what we've seen collectively through the first two weeks, let's give a grade to each one. I, You can put whatever grade you want on it. A plus, A minus, C plus, whatever you want to put on it. I'm not going to put the what we did in the past when we were scouting teams and we just did A, B, C, D, E. Not e, F. <laughs> uh- <laughs> oh, no. Okay, here we go, guys. I Quarter- feel
2: free now that I can put a minus on something. There
1: you go. All right, so here we go. Quarterback, what have you thought about that position?
2: I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give it an A minus or or an A oh, somewhere between there, somewhere between. Somewhere, there, there's somewhere no such b- thing as between A minus and an A. A minus and a half. I gave you freedom,
1: and now you can't figure it out. No,
2: I'm getting really. You, you're like in, no, you can't be detail oriented with this. It's like okay, you can be detail oriented. Now I'm gonna double down and say A minus and a half. No, I'll say yeah, I'll say A minus. I'll say A minus. I think that's fair for for both these quarterbacks through through two weeks. Look, Bo look borderline perfect. Although this week we saw a couple of throws that were questionable, could be on the receivers, could be on Nick's, uh, but yeah, I think A minus is fair against against this kind of competition. Like I think at the end of the day, collectively, it's an A minus performance. I went A.
1: I'll go higher than that. I really only think we saw one negative play. Out of Bo Nix this past weekend, nobody's going to be perfect. And if he had gone, if he had had those extra completions go his way, he would have that that his receivers dropped. He would have been twelve for seventeen. I thought he was decisive. He only made one negative play this past weekend, and so I'll go with an A. I thought I think he looks really good. His deep ball accuracy is super encouraging for me right now. That gets me very excited about games against Penn State and bigger teams because think about some of those losses that Auburn has had over these years. You remember back in the Mississippi State game back in twenty eighteen. And Jarrett Stidham couldn't, could yeah. Jared Stidham couldn't hit his deep ball receivers, and then I mean, there's just there's been several instances where Auburn's needed a big play, wide receiver overshot him, right? I think those days are gone. I've been very impressed, and and granted, this is not projecting anything down the line, and this is based off of everything that we've had to see compared to our expectations for what we thought we would see these first two weeks, right? Like we can't say how that. Like we're not saying that Auburn has an A quarterback in the SEC. I, I still think there's a lot more that we need to learn about Bo Nix. But I'm giving him a grade of an A of how he has performed these per, these first two weeks. Running backs, A plus. Exactly. Hands I was down. like, if you went lower than A plus, what are you doing?
2: A plus. Yeah. Th- over 300 yards rushing in both of their games. Jarquez Hunter has been an absolute beast. Tank Bigsby's been an absolute beast. Uh, our, our, our stinking walk-on Sean Jackson's in the top 50 right now in terms of total SEC rushers like in, in terms of like how many yards like yeah how <laughs> <laughs> bro how it, it's been it's just been an incredibly dominant performance from Hunter Bigsby uh, and, and Jackson he's gotten some touches like I mentioned so yeah I think a plus is is more more than uh, more than deserving for this unit they're adding stuff
1: to what Auburn's already doing up front as well right like they are creating their own space Tate Bigsby had a run against Alabama State where I was like wow that's next level vision that that's an NFL type run where he saw a hole that most running backs would have missed and would have only gotten two or three yards on the play he turned into 10 11 yards and a first down so you see that often out of these guys and it's not just Tate Bigsby I think that Sean Shivers from the moment that he stepped on campus I've, I've been impressed with sean shiver's vision and and his ability to to run hard and, and not really miss a beat when he when he's got the football in, hand, in his hands he's always it's not it's not zero to 100 it's 100 all the way and then Jarquez Hunter is showing evidence of that here so far as well i think that they are breaking tackles creating their own space a plus performance when both of those guys are averaging near 10 yards a carry you know i mean that's hard to put anything lower
2: than a plus let's go to wide receivers now i'll give it i'll give it an a minus as well look there's not been it's not been that like incredibly like wow you type of performance like they've made their deep throws like they've completed some passes nothing's been over 50 yards um nothing's been like crazy wild explosive it's just been efficient and there have been a couple of drops um by by not just shed but like kobe hudson had had one in the in the akron game and and, uh, yeah, I, I think that A-minus is fair for this group because they've not done anything that's been, like, over the top.
1: Demetrius Robertson had one in this past game. Shudder Jackson had one, but he was, you know, getting attacked by a defensive back, you know. <laughs> there was defensive pass interference there. I'm trying to think, who else dropped a pass? Kayla Newton dropped the touchdown pass. Bigsby dropped one out of the backfield. There have been some drops here and there. And maybe this past week that was just a focus thing because there were hardly any drops against Akron. They were uh, they were amped up. They were excited. They were ready to go for that ball game. But 11 a.m. it may be harder to get up for. I don't know. And the second half we didn't see those issues arise. We didn't see drops anymore. You know, it was just those first couple drives that you saw some drops and they worked that out. But um, yeah, I'm gonna go a minus. This past weekend's performance I would have given them a B. Thought that they did a pretty good job of getting open. But you ought to be able to get open against Alabama State. They had mm-hmm. some big plays thrown in there. Some good catches, but they also had some egregious drops. But the first game, I would have given them an A. Yeah. So I, I'm, you know, I average it out, and say A minus up to this point. Offensive line play. This uh, one may be a mixed bag.
2: I'm going to say A minus as well. It's not been, again, it's not been over the top. And then against Akron, obviously they were borderline perfect. But against Alabama State, we saw a couple times where where the pocket broke down, and like you know, it's out. I'm I'm not trying to just hate on Alabama State, but that shouldn't happen against an fcs team more than once or twice and it didn't but i just don't expect that to happen often and it's not worthy of an a or an a plus ranking for me i
1: like it i went a i think the pass protection has been fine up to this point i think they've ran blocked very well so i will go or run blocked very well so i'll, I'll go with a i'll go with an a just a step higher i've been impressed with it i have no gripes with the O lineup to this point i think they've done a good job moving on i know that you're not saying that They've done they've a poor bad. job either. No, yeah, they've, no, they've done a great job. They
2: performed very well. It's yeah. just to see to see it collapse and Knicks lose a fumble and for, for a couple of times during right. this Bama State game, for it to be like, oh, what's going on? He's having to scramble or something like that. I think A-minus is fair. Actually, let me
1: drop mine. I'm going A-minus because I remembered the penalties this past weekend and yeah. that was making me want to – that was making me just want to scream. <laughs> that was horrible. Horrible.
2: Wow, they had more than 10 penalties this past weekend. It was, it was egregious. Yeah, they, they – I believe – yeah, I think they they had quite a bit of penalties.
1: Tight ends. I'm going to go A minus here.
2: Yeah, I'll go A minus as well. Schenker had those five catches, and then he had one catch or in the Akron game, and then he had one catch uh, for 14, no, for eight yards rather in the uh, the game against Alabama State. Again, not wow you overly impressive, but it's been solid. It's been good. A
1: And they haven't asked them to do a whole lot either. No. It's been pretty much the outlet little. It's the underneath route and the flood route on the outside, or or it's been someone out in the flats. It's not a it's not been them asking to go and stretch the ball downfield. They haven't been asked to do a whole lot. Something that has impressed me with these tight ends, blocking. Yes. I thought they've done a great job of that. Also Shanker being able to be your fullback if they do go into the I formation. There's some versatility there. which just haven't been able to see a whole lot, so it's hard to grade it. I'll go A minus. They've done a good job of what they've been doing, but haven't just like wowed us either. Defensive line play.
2: I'm gonna say I'm gonna say A. It's it's been pretty good. Uh, over these two games obviously a lot more sacks against Akron than Alabama State only two sacks according to auburnstats.com but they've been racking up tackles for loss and I think that TD Moultrie is a guy that not a whole whole lot of us were talking about being this breakout kind of guy and he's played really well through two games you know Marquise Burks uh, has been a guy that's emerged as a really solid piece on the line Uh, Marcus Harris has been good Colby Wooden has been good it's not, I've not seen anything that would tell me that they've been anything less than A or A minus.
1: I went A minus. I And you know my concerns about speed rushing yes. when it comes to this Auburn defensive line. They've got power rushers. And oftentimes that is what you see out of your defensive line in the 3 4 because they're playing on the inside. They're not trying to run around the edge. Derek Hall would, would, is playing kind of like an outside linebacker role to what you'd see in the NFL. That's, that's what an edge rusher does. They stand up. He's, he's slimmer than your defensive line, right? The defensive line is. Putting their hands into these offensive linemen and these guards and these tackles, and they're driving in the backfield, and they've collapsed the pocket a few times. They did it a lot against Akron, not as much against Alabama State, but when they did get sacks against Alabama State, it's because the interior of the line collapsed and it was driven back into the backfield. That won't happen as much against Penn State. That won't happen as much against SEC teams. Not saying that that's not viable and that that doesn't work. Just go and watch Derrick Brown. He was dominant at all doing that. It works. I'm just curious to see if Auburn's going to finish out of the middle of the pack in sacks this year. Not saying that the pass rush isn't better than it was last year. Not saying that it wasn't getting home as uh, more than it did last year. It is, and it is improved. But by virtue of the way that this scheme is built, and we've talked about this a lot during the offseason – Three, four teams just aren't always getting a ton of sacks. I mean, just look at Georgia. A lot of years, they'll finish in the middle of the pack, and they have one of the best defensive lines in the SEC. They have a top-two defensive line in the SEC. They just don't rack up a ton of sacks. They get a lot of TFLs. Their linebackers end up racking up sacks. The defensive line doesn't necessarily do that. That's just by virtue of the scheme. Not saying that they're not playing well. They're playing very well. They got six sacks week one, but I'm, I want to see this week. Before I give them anything higher than an A-minus, I want to see this week if they are able to get home against Penn State because two sacks against Alabama State concerned me a little bit for them being able to do that. I think there will be pressure, but I want sacks.
2: Yeah, I think I think that's fair. I think that's fair for the D line. And like you mentioned, this three four scheme probably isn't going to to allow them to to get a lot of sacks. Like you mentioned, the linebackers are probably going to be the ones that are doing that are getting most of the of the, of the TFLs. And you saw eleven tfls uh from this group against alabama state this week
1: and right and the defensive line i want to say this i'm super pleased with the way that the defensive line is run stopping the runs that was there are plugging gaps they're controlling the point of the attack they're doing exactly what they need to do for the linebackers to come in and fill the holes and make plays and that's why you're seeing zacoby Mc, Jacoby mcclain right now playing with his his head on fire
2: that's something that i was again something that i was talking about as a concern of mine heading into this season you allowed negative yards rushing in your first game you allow less than 50 i believe against alabama state and auburn's run, uh, run stop run stopping defense like you said has been phenomenal over the course of two games so to the linebackers i think this like running backs has to be an a plus right yes it's an a plus absolutely zacoby McLean, owen papo chandler wooten uh they've all been fantastic romello height got in the mix uh this this past weekend got four tackles including a tfl They've just been excellent. They've been flying all over the fields. Zekobi McLean has been everywhere, and I think he he's going to continue to be that guy.
1: There was a block below the waist. You know, the penalty flag that went against Alabama State, mm. and and I, I saw Zekobi McLean holding his knee for a second. I said, "No, no, no, not not this, not like this, please, no." <laughs> I freaked out for a second, had a heart attack. He got up though, and he was fine.
2: And uh, I, I really hope that everybody on this defense is uh, is good to go for Penn State, specifically in this linebacking core, Because like we talked about, this defensive line is going to stop the run and it's going to set Penn State up in third and medium, third and long situations. And these linebackers have to be able to fly around. And if it, if it does happen, they have to be able to get to those intermediate routes. Because I still think that while they, Penn State's not done that yet, I think that's something they're going to try and do against Auburn. Defense backfield um this one's a tough one for me i'm gonna say b plus Traumatic. simply because of the completion percentage and how much they've they've given up but they've not given anything up over the top they've not given up like explosive stuff it's just i want to see them cut down on the completion so i think you have
1: to differentiate that a little bit i gave a b plus but don't hold them back all year long because opposing quarterbacks are completing a decent that they have a decent completion percentage against auburn that's they want that not not that they want it but that they're okay with giving that up if they can force opposing teams to have to maintain drives 15 play drives you know because you're not giving anything up over the top you're not giving up first down throws you want to keep everything pretty much underneath they're running a lot of zone coverage at this point and that drives a lot of people crazy they're like why are they playing 10 yards off the line of scrimmage it's like that's just what they called man like they're not in man-to-man coverage deal with it like that's that's what they're being told to do but they, they can cover a man to man very well. Roger McCree had a pick six off of it this past week when he came up and, you know, stole it off of the screen, you know. So I don't think that Auburn that, that folks should be too concerned with the completion percentage. What they should be concerned is if Penn State hits them with some long shots this past, this this upcoming weekend. Right.
2: And that, I think I think that's my concern at the end of the day is if Auburn breaks down at some point, then this defense starts to become vulnerable and not just not just allowing completions but the ground game may start to open up this pass rush may start to get tired and I just did that just it, it's a it's a fear of mine
1: it's not as aggressive of a pass scheme pass defense scheme as what you've seen in the past Kevin Steele was we are going to blitz you in different ways and we're going to play man-to-man on the outside and I don't think you're going to see as many turnovers for us maybe as what the previous coaching staff was trying to generate i don't think that you're going to see nearly as much man-to-man coverage against some of these teams obviously it'll there will be variation Derek mason is very multiple on the defensive side of the ball as well but there's going to be a lot more bending than just sheer out you know man-to-man hand-to-hand combat as what we've seen in the past and i don't think that's a bad thing cover three schemes and and zone schemes work at the next level and at every level it just all comes down to discipline and this defense so far up to this point is showing great amounts of discipline so i think there's a lot to like there we'll just have i i I went b plus though because of what the backup secondary has done not not largely impressed with the backup secondary through the first two weeks
2: yeah it's it's not it's not been fantastic but i will i will say to to put a positive spin on it for me like I'm I can't imagine the the backup secondary is going to Auburn's not going to rely on those guys if they need to I'm concerned but against teams like Penn State Auburn's going to go with their starters and like you and I just talked about their starters have not given up the deep ball yet and so let's just let's I, I think that it's an area that I think want Auburn fans to be aware of heading into this ball game but it's not something that we should be like crazy worried over. Special teams. Before we go to break, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say B plus, um, uh, simply because of what we saw in the Akron game. If you're talking about Alabama State, A plus all the way. But missing your first extra point of the season is is inexcusable. And I know it's just one point, but like guys, this is a senior kicker. This is this is a guy that we that Brian Harson said, yeah, he hasn't missed a kick all practice, and then he goes out there first one. Just oh, it was it. destined to be so it's yeah it's it, it's something god's that, plan man <laughs> you talk about this team going out there and executing to see that first thing and then to see oscar chapman his punt go like what 32 yards or something like that in week one i was
1: great last week though
2: he was good but i'm saying i would have given like the performance in week one like a c plus give it an a plus average it out it's it's, it's a b plus for me i went a
1: I think they've returned the ball very well. Punt returns have been a positive to this point. Punt coverage has been very good. They're getting down the field right now. They are are getting onto that ball very quickly. That's something I've noticed. Um, Touchbacks all the way through the end zone. They've been great on kick return coverage as well. The few times that they have allowed opposing teams to return it. Carlson's made every single field goal he's kicked. That's a positive.
2: Yeah, and again... This special team's performance in that third quarter specifically against Alabama State, like you could not literally get anything better than blocking a punt, blocking a field goal, returning it for a touchdown. And but that that week one, man, really, really hinders me giving this team like an A or an A plus.
1: Sure. I understand it. Extra points made me want to pull my hair out. Let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we wrap up the Monday edition of On the Line. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you ramping up the Monday edition of the show. Before we get out of here, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. All right, everybody, it's the national finals on American Ninja Warrior at 7 on NBC. A pair of Adam Sandler movies are on Freeform starting at 6. It's The Waterboy, and following it at 8, it's Grown Ups 2. Classic baseball film with The Natural on FS1 at 8 anyone remember marvel villain ultron i do not think this guy got enough screen time intense but very brief appearance in the cinematic universe honestly one of the better villains and he was erased very quickly avengers age of ultron is on tnt at six different marvel movie with deadpool on fx movies at 6 45 live sports monday night football is on espn and abc at 7 15 p.m lamar jackson and the baltimore ravens are at Derek carr and the las vegas raiders Over on ESPN2, Peyton and Eli Manning provide live commentary of the action as well. Some replays of this past weekend's college football action is on ESPNU. Washington at Michigan is at 5, and Utah at BYU is at 8. Guys, a little bit of a question here for y'all. What college football team is Ultron? Oof. And let me set the stage here for folks out there that maybe don't like superhero movies as much. We'll uh, try and brighten your day here, add something to culture for you, but... um, ultron had uh, was in one avengers movie really just does not play a large role in the the marvel cinematic universe or, or the storyline the plot thereof i mean of course you get vision out of that but on the flip side ultron albeit he was a, a bad villain like i mean that guy was that guy was the real deal and he is eliminated quickly and everybody forgets about ultron just a very brief but intense time period in avengers and then that sets the stage for thanos moving on later but who what what college football team is Ultron? And, and inter Belichick, I think's got something. You got something? All right, let's Belichick, what is it? We got Texas. Texas uh, is Ultron? I thought 2000s, of Texas. Texas.
2: Yeah, I thought of Texas as well.
1: But they've never been intense. What's intense about Texas? Like I mean, what, what what day in the sun did they have where everybody was like, Oh man,
2: this is they're tearing it up. I, I, I think you
1: got to have, like, at least 2005, <laughs> as I say, the, one, the year they won the national championship. And that's, that's a, a long, long time, time ago. I kind of mean more recent history. But and they were pretty good sure, for the that years may work.
2: before that, too. So that was their day in the sun. Yeah, maybe. But it was short lived, yeah. What's another team you can think of?
1: Ohio State's kind of coming to mind right now because they had the one natty back in 2014. But what have they done since then? Lose by 40 to Purdue? <laughs>
2: and lose national championship games. Yeah. I was time. I was going to say Notre Dame cuz <laughs> because they had that stretch there. Why am I not surprised at Dame. all? Yeah, I was just like <laughs> I don't know. I just I just stay I just stay hating on Notre Dame, man. But yeah, I think Ohio State's a good one. I think Texas is fair because of the one year that they had I can't remember. Really... About Oklahoma. Uh, uh, Oklahoma sure They look bad. They've got a lot of firepower like Ultron had, but, but they're uh, consistently yeah. they're consistently there. It wasn't just like a one time thing. That's true. That's true. Washington, maybe.
1: They got there one time, I like got that. defeated very quickly.
2: <laughs> 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 they got to the playoffs.
1: That's it for the Monday edition of Behind the Line. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Same time, same place. You know where to find us.